Well, we've come to the end of this teaching uh, called Glory Through Time, and uh, I thought it would be good to try to summarize what we've learned from it. What I've learned as I've been doing all this research and um, allowing God to teach me from his track record. And uh, so one of the things that I've, that I've discovered um, has been how um, I almost have to get out of my own skin and look at things from God's point of view because um, it, it, God has his own ideas of what he's doing. And he's revealed those things in his word. And yet, a lot of what he's revealed in his word is not what we anticipate because it's not necessarily about us. There's, there's a lot less in there, for example, about our salvation than you would at first realize. And uh, there's a lot more in there about what God's intentions are for history so uh, it turns out history is a story about one kingdom replacing another kingdom. Okay, so Satan is the god of this world. Jesus is coming in to replace his kingdom so that God might have his way in his creation and his creation will become as he originally intended it. Well, see, that's a little bit different story. I mean, you don't hear that necessarily preached in a lot of pulpits. Um, and yet it's, it's right there. We've, we've looked at Acts 3, 19 to 21, which gives the basic plan of the kingdom of God. Um, and it's, uh, first of all, uh, we repent so that we can have times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And then... God sends Jesus, the appointed king, to restore all things. So that's a two-part story, you see. There's a first part, which is times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. But at a certain point, Jesus is coming back to be the king and restore all things. And so that's, that's a two-part process that is right there in Scripture. And God has his own his own uh, reasons for doing this. He's interested to make creation, all of creation, as he intended it to be in the first place. And that means there's a meaning and a, uh, a significance to history itself. So uh, history is a story of one kingdom replacing another kingdom. And in the end, the enemy is going to be uh, cast down and uh, he will no longer be able to deceive the nations. And that, that's the story of history. So if history has a meaning and a purpose, we're not just here waiting to die so that we can go to heaven, but history itself has a meaning and a significance, then our lives can have a meaning and a significance because we are called then to decide which kingdom we're working for. And, and so that's going to mean um, we have a decision to make uh, about how we spend our lives. So um, all of that it gives a little bit different perspective than what we often get when the focus is entirely on 
eternal life and salvation. You, you, you get the picture. It's the gospel of the kingdom. And as we take store of that, then we have to look and see, well, what does the kingdom consist of? And the kingdom of God consists of really basically two things. One is the presence of the king. So uh, times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And so he's, he's, going, he's promising to come and be present in some very real ways through times of refreshing. And so that uh, we're calling great awakenings or uh, seasons of spiritual awakening. Um, uh, they've been called a lot of different things down through the ages, but um, many Christians have seen that our job is to pray in these times of uh, refreshing from the presence of the Lord. That's really the calling of the church, to ask his presence. Uh, but then there's another piece of it, and that is there are patterns of sound teaching that the king wants us to live by. So if he's the king and we're his people, then um, we have to look at what are the patterns that are, characterize his kingship. And then we follow those patterns. I call it a road with curbs and gutters. You know, it's definitely things that are uh, God's way, Jesus's way. And then there are things, other things that are not his way. And we have to learn the difference between those two. So there's a presence and then there's a pattern. And what we've seen in our study of history is that the pattern and the presence are together and they keep reintroducing themselves throughout history. And the purpose of the church is to be aware of that pattern and then to, to pray for it um, so that that his kingdom will come and his will be done. Um, there will be uh, seasons of refreshing from his presence, and there will be, and then a re-emergence of the pattern that pleases the king. And so that's what we've seen, and we've seen that when those things happen, they have tended to move in a westerly direction. So even though the church has been spreading the gospel in all directions, you know, from the very beginning, apostles, you know, scattered and they scattered in all directions and they spread the gospel in all directions. And yet, when it comes to the fulfillment of this kingdom promise, times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, we see that that has moved in a westerly direction. I was really interested, first of all, uh, when Jesus spoke to Mark Ma, the Chinese leader, uh, about the Back to Jerusalem movement, he spoke in these terms, that the gospel has been moving primarily in a westerly direction, and now uh, we want you to, uh, to be aware of this, and you take it on to the next leg of, of its journey back to Jerusalem. Then I was really interested in Asher Intrader, uh, who is a Messianic Jewish leader in Israel, has a, um, a ministry called Revive Israel, uh, and uh, this is what he says. Um, the preaching of the gospel and the restoration of the promised land are both part of bringing the kingdom of God to the earth. 
As the kingdom of God begins and ends in Jerusalem, so does the preaching of the gospel begin and end in Jerusalem. As Abraham's commission to return to the promised land went westward, so does the general plan for the spread of the gospel move westward. So he's seeing that there is this pattern that is now moving to completion, that what started in Jerusalem has gone around the globe in a westerly fashion and is now right up coming back to Jerusalem in the predominantly Islamic lands. What we've seen is a huge, powerful wave that when, when, when God is, is coming with his kingdom, um, nothing can stop that. Uh, it's like we've, we've seen this, haven't we? We've seen the power of God flowing into whole cities or states, counties or countries. And uh, when that happens, it's like a tsunami wave. And so that wave has been in China now for two generations. Uh, do you realize that um, the majority of Chinese Christians are first generation Christians? And now that generation is starting to look to the West to see how they can bring the gospel to completion all the way back along the Silk Road to Jerusalem. And, and, that, and then the, the circuit is complete. I mean, that's, that's exciting. So the, the, the relevance of what we've seen in terms of what happens when the God pours out his spirit and the kingdom of God is manifesting because the presence of the king is there, well, that's, that's about to invade the Islamic lands from the east. And it's, 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 it's an exciting time in which to be alive. Now, the enemy does not want this to happen. Okay, so the, the, the half of the picture that is the negative half is that the enemy has to give up and surrender and yield up the authority and the power he has had on the earth all this time. And he's not going to do that easily. So what we're, what we're, what I have seen here is that there are uh, battle strategies coming from the other side. Um, at the beginning, uh, the enemy loved to intimidate. He loved to be as evil and as awful as he could and to do horrible things to Christians. You know, like in the, in the, uh, the, uh, the arena, the Roman arenas and so on. Uh, and um, we are seeing uh, a little bit of that re-emerging now. Um, people being crucified, people having their heads cut off, um, Christians being seriously uh, persecuted in a horrible way. Um, but in the midst of all of that, there was a, um, a somewhat of a change of battle strategy on the part of the enemy. He became a guerrilla warrior. Guerrilla warfare, instead of coming out into the open, and just showing, you know, like the ancient Roman armies used to do, just showing how powerful they were and how awful they were, and don't mess with us, you might as well just surrender right now, that kind of thing. But then the enemy, because of the authority of Christ flowing through the church when it was operating by my spirit, uh, because of, of that, the enemy was defeated 
many times the kingdom of God was coming with power, and so he decided to change his strategy a little bit and uh, and go into a more of a hidden and a deceptive way of opposing the gospel. And uh, the short, the long and the short of it is that he he decided to to move into the church and see if he couldn't quietly plant uh, an alternative lifestyle in the church. So you've got strongholds of deception coming into the church where the church becomes convinced from about the time of Constantine uh, to abandon the by my spirit pattern and to start utilizing an alternative, which we call a power and might pattern. So this power and might pattern is now becoming Satan's strategy to um, hinder the kingdom of God. And we're, we're saying now that there are three eras uh, in this battle, in this uh, drama. Okay, the first 700 years, we see the by my spirit pattern prevailing. But then we see in the middle 700 years, the medieval era, we see the power and might pattern winning, becoming normal. Uh, most Christians assume this is the way it is now. We're forgetting all about what the by my spirit pattern was. Then the last period, the last six or 700 years or so, are going to see a reintroduction of the original pattern. So that requires Christians to get back to the word of God, to study the word of God furiously, to tremble at his word, and then to realize how did we get so far off track? We're completely missing the pattern. So that's what's happening even to this day. You know, it's been slow going. I, I believe for God, I believe he's, he's found us to be slow learners. Um, people who would like to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know all about that, but that's not for today. Oh, that's not for today. Oh, no, 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 that's not for today. And how easily we want to reject pieces of the pattern and only have just maybe one or two, maybe three, but there's, 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 ingredients of ingredients and he's he's been trying to reintroduce all of the ingredients of the original pattern that Jesus taught the by my spirit pattern so let's just review now what that pattern is the basic seven ingredients and of course all the all these ingredients have sub ingredients you know so there's a lot of different things you could get into you could go on and on and on about the ingredients of the by my spirit pattern but the first one, I like this going back to the, the days of um, the Arthur, Arthurian knights, you know, the knights of the round table. And, you know, the knight surrenders to the king and bows before the king, and the king grants authority. Well, the surrender to the king is really, really a significant part. I mean, it's where the thing all begins. If you don't have a life of a surrender, then you see you're your own king. I mean, if you see who Jesus is, um, it requires a surrender. That's, that's where it all begins. You're nowhere if you're not surrendered. And the surrender, of course, grows as we move through and we, we begin to realize areas that we haven't surrendered. But it starts with a basic decision. 
of accepting his authority. He gets the, the right to speak into our lives, to have his say and have his way. And we're about learning that now, from now on, for the rest of our lives. Then empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Again, this is not something that power and might Christians really are that interested in. But it's his will. It's his will. You know, he wants to give us the Holy Spirit, and then there's all kinds of empowerments that come along with that. Power for witness and service, power for Christian fellowship, and fellowship of the Spirit. There's a power of writing his laws on our hearts, which is a major one here, that... Um, by my spirit, Christianity is a spiritual awakening of conscience to the eternal laws that God has put in the universe. And um, there are things that are righteous and there are things that are not. And this is not imputed right righteousness. This is the righteous deeds of the saints. This is people who are learning how to submit so that their words and their actions conform to what pleases Jesus. And so there's a maturing of our lives and our words. We probably never can be perfect in this life, but we, if we're surrendered, then there's a, a learning process and a maturity in Christ that's going to be reflected in our lives, in our faces, in our words, in the way we treat people and so on. And then... This one here is um, the, uh, the basic pattern of humility, where we're not putting ourselves forward, we're not putting ourselves above others, we're outdoing one another in showing honor, and Jesus really went overboard to communicate this with his disciples. I came as one who serves. And so the, 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 the letters of Paul are especially strong on this, Philippians and Ephesians and so on. And then out of that, if we are learning how to, to live out that lifestyle, the next thing that comes along is this love and unity in Christ, that there is um, a possibility of truly wonderful loving relationships among Christian believers if we are submitted to Christ and working out that humility in the way that he wishes. And then sixth, the authority that we rely on is not the authority of political power manipulation, but it's the authority of prayer. And um, God wants to invest us with authority so that when we pray, we see things happen, uh, even over nations and over people groups or over cities and uh, and maybe not just ourselves only but the church learns to pray and the, the church comes together uh, in prayer agreeing in prayer as in Acts 1 14 and and then you see things happen as a result of that that's the authority of the church and then finally going along with that Every single Christian has their own direct connection with God. It's, it's very, very clear that this is why Jesus died. When he died, the temple curtain tore in two, and he's, it's like he's saying, come to me, you know, I want you. 
in fellowship with me. God is saying that to us. And and so, um, but power and might Christianity wants to say, no, you're not good enough. Uh, you need me to come and stand between you and I'll be over you in the Lord and you need to just listen to it because I hear God and, and you don't. So um, I'll just tell you what God is saying to you. See, so then you have um, these um, this hierarchy between us and God. No, uh, what we what we want to do if we are leaders in the church, if we're if we are um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, the goal is to get everybody to be like us, which is to have our own u- unique relationship, our own direct connection with God. We're not going to replace God in their lives. We're going to help them, guide them so that they can have their own direct connection. So this is this is the pattern. And what we want to do now is to recommend uh, a whole other series of teachings called How Shall We Then Live? We've, we've looked at the pattern that is, it, it has credibility all through history. But now let's see if we're following that pattern ourselves. So I want to recommend the, the next series of teachings. It's probably going to be the longest by the end of it, but we want to, we want to ask, how shall we put that pattern? How do you do this? How do you actually have a connection with God and live according? How do you walk with God? And we'll be dealing with that question in that series.